As we come around to perhaps the most important time of the Premier League season, history will be written by those who are able to maintain form in the final stretch. In the same way, also finishing in good form down the stretch is the Peak Too Early podcast upload schedule. For the third straight week being on time, I am Blake Munchell. This is episode 21 of season two. And with me for another episode is the lovely Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you? Hello. Very well. What a uh, what a nice, coherent, beautiful intro. Um, although, didn't we upload on a Thursday recently? <laughs> right? Like, relatively sure on schedule. Anyway, yeah, relatively on schedule. Um, I think this is correct. We have done very well. Um, we deserve a pat on the back. And long may this tight schedule continue. Like, how, is, how have you been since the last time we talked? Well, we'll get into it, uh, but this weekend left me a little down. Yeah. Um, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, um, mm. but I would say overall still very positive in Camp Blake. Um, Oscar, how are you? I am well. Um, I, I guess I will shout out another family member this week, my aunt, who I showed the podcast to over the weekend or rather i showed i showed the spotify page maybe she'll be listening she lives very close to selhurst park in crystal palace um knows nothing about football i don't think um but can hear the crystal palace fans cheering and booing and being loud um when they play at home which is really cool um so hello aunt karen and that's that's all i have to say yeah. Hello, Aunt Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, aunt of the pod. Aunt of the pod, um, exactly. Oscar, let's uh, start this podcast with uh, a hijacking uh, where mm. we do the uh, once upon a time weekly rantings of Blake as a Newcastle supporter. Uh, oh, interesting. But they're less frequent now, so uh, we need to start off with it. We do. Um, Briefly, midweek, Thursday, uh, wonderful game. Uh, Newcastle coming from behind yet again to win yet another match. Um, nine matches unbeaten, this time with a Bruno Guimaraes back heel mm. volley winner. Um, pretty stunning. Uh, great goal. Sublime. Uh, yeah. Uh, and... What should have, and in a way did, uh, carry us into the Sunday match where Newcastle faced off against a certain uh, Chelsea who are in poor spirits right now. Um, But uh, Newcastle did continue their form and absolutely played Chelsea off the pitch. Unfortunately, uh, they then lost the match, of course. Um, it kind of in all facets from Chelsea was a really poor match. Um, the fans were dead silent. Um, I guess it's a pretty grim mood right now. So, uh, you know, understandably quiet. The, the players were pretty poor, uh, but most of the spotlight is on the refereeing team for this match. Um, First incident 
is Kai Havertz on Dan Byrne, um, where Kai Havertz jumps um, with his elbow in a extremely strange position um, mm. and clatters Dan Byrne right in the temple and splits his skin, and it looks like Dan Byrne was shot. Um, the uh, incident was reviewed by VAR, but the on-the-field referee was not called over to review this which is a strange and in my opinion poor decision um kai havertz's comments after the match uh were something along the lines of uh when you go up to challenge such a tall player you have to do that bit more um which to me you know is kind of a portrays him in a bad light um he also said, I'm not that type of player, uh, which is always a funny comment because, like, if you do that, you are that type of player. Like, that is mm-hmm. what happens. Um, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank said uh, he thought it was probably intentional, uh, which is a super interesting comment uh, that you normally don't hear pundits say. Um, even, like, relatively poor Pundits like Micah Richards uh, said it was a clear red and a farce that it was missed. Um, and every broadcast that I've heard from, all the announcers, while when it was live, said that should be reviewed by VAR and should be a red card. So that's incident one. Incident two is uh, Nathaniel Chalaba, who played at left back during this match, um, on Jacob Murphy. Uh, where Jacob Murphy absolutely skins Chalaba um, on the byline, uh, getting ready to cut it back. Chalaba has his hand over his shoulder and pulls his shirt back, so his entire shoulder is yanked backwards twice. Uh, And then he maintains his balance, um, even though it's already a foul. Uh, And Chalaba then kicks Jacob Murphy in the leg, uh, bringing him down. And then in that falling motion, Jacob Murphy touches the ball last and it goes behind the goal. Uh, First, Nathaniel Chalaba's reaction, it's that clear pretend nothing happened uh, because if the defender reacts, the ref will probably realize he messed up. Um, The... This was given as a corner to Newcastle, which is really strange, um, and I think is the main issue I have with this, um, is because Murphy was the only player to touch the ball at any point in the sequence of play. So, if VAR looks at this, and they say, well, it's not a foul, but you did give a corner to Newcastle, instead of a goal kick to Chelsea, then that's a clear and obvious error. So what's the reason that the player kicked the ball out of play? It's because it was a foul inside the box, so it should be a penalty. So, you know, whatever. These things happen, um, and it really sucks, and it's a stonewall penalty to Newcastle. But referees miss these uh, calls week in, week out. So whatever, I don't care. Um, Although I obviously very much do care. Um, And then in uh, uh, an 
awful moment uh, that makes this whole course of events really suck is Kai Havertz, the player who should have been sent off in the 50th minute, then scores a 90th minute game winner. That's um, a goal as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck off. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I refuse to admit it's a good goal. Um, oh, come on. I watched it once through Diverted Eyes. Um, mm. But I will say Newcastle thoroughly deserved all three points, or at least one point. Um, if you think about who Newcastle's best players this season slash this year have been, uh, Callum Wilson, ASM, Ryan Fraser, John Joe Shelby, Joe Willock, Joe Linton, Kieran Trippier, mm-hmm. all missed this match. Uh, yeah. It was very much a B-side from Newcastle, um, and they still outplayed Chelsea, and they still deserved a point or three. Um, and so in a way, this match is a positive in that they performed really well against a side that is worth way, way more. Um, yeah. And a side that Newcastle have always done really, really awfully against. So, um, Oscar Saywell, is it a red card? Is it a penalty? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Two stonewall decisions that went against you. Um, and, I mean, I don't have much more to say on those two incidents um, that, than you've already talked about. Um one thing I will say, though, is that it's quite crazy that the fact that these two decisions went against you isn't calamity for Newcastle United. Um, and that speaks to the enormous growth that you've had over the past 10 matches um, in 2022 in particular. And I suppose that that is the silver lining uh, for, for this match. Um, but I totally agree. I thought you were frankly robbed and and you, the performance just underlines the the astonishing um football you're playing i mean maybe that's a bit um hyperbolic but the, the i guess the the astonishing culture shift at the club um the spirit that you have the um the the cohesiveness to your attacking play the fact that you're defensively sound um who are you? What is this Newcastle United that we're watching? Um, and, you know, uh, this result is not one that will make the wheels go off, um, as we've seen so often in the past when Newcastle lose matches. So um, it's kudos again, despite despite not picking up any points. Yeah, I um, texted you something after the... Or actually, I think I sent it before the match. Um, but of just one of these stats that I couldn't quite believe when I read it. Um, after Since 2016, when Newcastle were promoted back to the Premier League, after 27 matches, 31 points and a negative 15 goal di- differential are both records or n- record bests for mm. Newcastle United. Um, which is wild for a team that were in 19th uh, really not too long ago. Um, we're even we're in 20th at one point. Um, we are the best we have been in, what, six years, five years? Um, yeah. And it really yeah. is 
all Eddie Howe. Um, yeah, it's yeah. pretty ridiculous how the the one concern was you know at Bournemouth he was never able to figure out his defense. He always conceded at least sixty goals um, every season with Bournemouth in the Premier League, and uh, you know this season he's made us you know like a top ten defense um, easily, like top seven probably. Um, um, before we move on, one brief thing that I will touch on here is that this morning news came out that the Saudi media group submitted an almost three billion pound bid to buy Chelsea, which is fascinating breaking news. Um, and I guess, you know, especially so in the context of Newcastle's recent takeover, um, I, I, I don't know how this would legally go through. But as strange things have happened um, in the recent past, so who knows, perhaps we'll see uh, two Saudi-backed teams in the Premier League uh, in the near future. Yeah, um, another like caveat on top of that is if Sheffield United are ever promoted back to the Premier mm. League, then we'll have three... Three teams uh, either owned by or in part controlled by the Saudi royal family. Um, yep. Absolutely which, crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's not the only uh, sector in the UK that is completely bought by the Saudis. but uh, Nope, it is not. Yeah, I, I don't know anything like legality-wise about... Um, conflicting parties owning Premier League sides. Um, but uh, yeah, I I know one of Newcastle's owners was contemplating selling his shares in Newcastle and buying Chelsea, um, which would have been hilarious because we just got bought. So it'd be very funny for him to then sell to buy Chelsea. Um, yeah, that would be crazy. Um. Okay, I'm going to move on to mm, nicer things, I think, than than Saudis buying up football clubs. Um, I want to say, Blake, that this weekend actually really energized uh, my love of football. Not to say that it had sort of stagnated or anything. I think I have been finding it hard to make the time to watch football recently, but I managed to have a couple of games on in the background this weekend and definitely um, you know, sat down and watched through through highlights, and I just thought it was a really excellent uh, weekend of football. I really appreciate the fact that in the States you can basically watch any game you want if you have the the right platforms. Peacock shows so much stuff and often shows things that often shows matches rather that are um, the, 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 the networks, the TV networks think are um, less desirable. So I managed to watch Leeds uh, Norwich, which was an absolutely belting game. Um, but I want to start with Arsenal and Leicester. Um, Arsenal, the 2-0 victors over the Foxes at home. Uh, a Thomas Partey goal in the 11th minute from the inevitable set piece that Leicester just can't defend. And then uh, Alexander, um, uh, Alexander Lacazette penalty uh, in the 60th minute. Um, but the man I want to highlight, Blake, is Martin Erdegaard, 
who has been getting plaudits from across Europe uh, as this season, but especially in 2022. And this is a guy at 23 who's really grown into his own, I think, at Arsenal. Um, there were lots of questions when he signed permanently for the club. Um, his loan spell was fairly successful, but Arsenal were still this stuttering, um, very unstable club. And people were sort of surprised that he hitched his wagon to them when he had such a great loan spell at Real Sociedad and uh, had other clubs looking at him very seriously from across the continent. Um, you know, in this game, I, I'm not sure whether he directly contributed to a goal, but he has five goals himself this season, a handful of assists, and he plays with a skill and a beauty of movement that really endears him to fans, I think. Um, his... His skills, the skills that he executes are necessary. That's the way I'd like to describe the way he plays. It's like he, he doesn't showboat. It's like he figures out in the moment what skill to use in order to execute the best action in the match. So, for example, he will figure out, and he did it in this game, that the ball needs to be five yards to the 10 yards to the left and so he'll flick the ball over his head in order to get 10 yards to the left in the quickest cleanest way possible in order to pass a ball to someone else and i think that's just such a fascinating way of playing the game and i think it shows really the you know that footballing mind that he has um my question i guess i'd pose to you here blake is how good do you think Martin Odegaard could get? And I suppose, how good is he now? Are we overhyping him a bit too much? Does he need to show more consistency for you? What do you think of Martin Odegaard? Well, a statistic for you is uh, oh, good. Martin Odegaard is... Uh, in the 14th percentile for dribbles completed, which you would look at that and say, that is a very poor statistic. Um, mm, if wow. 86% of the league is better than you at uh, That's a crazy completing statistic. dribbles, then you would assume that is a pretty poor player. However, in terms of um, percent of dribbles completed, progressive carrying of the ball, um, progression of the ball in general, he's all 90th percentile or above. Right, right. Which shows, you know, he doesn't necessarily have a high volume of dribbles, but when he does dribble, it's almost always effective. Um, which, you know, is a, a pretty good thing to have for an attacking player. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think he is a pretty phenomenal player, and for the price that Arsenal picked him up for, um, mm. a pretty excellent deal. Um, in terms of... So where do I think he is right now? He's probably a yeah. top seven attacking midfielder in the Premier League, but that's nothing to do with how 
not great he is. It's entirely yeah. to do with there's some really incredible attacking midfielders in the Premier League. Um, where I think he can go is a much harder question. Um, I think right now it kind of feels to me that he's the best player in the team. And so I think what we're going to see is the you're going to see some very obvious progression from other players surrounding him before we get the best out of Martin Odegaard. Um, so how good do I think he can be? I mean, he's incredibly young. He's younger than me, so that means he's incredibly young. Um, 23. He's my age. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the future is incredibly bright for him. Um, yeah, agreed. And including the Norwegian national team. Uh, oh, if absolutely. they don't mess that up, they're going to have an incredible squad. Absolutely. No, agreed. Agreed. I did want to just touch on him. Um, where to next, Blake? Do you want to pick a next talking point? I have plenty here in front of me on my notes. I can keep going. Um, well, I will pick one that I'm sure you have written down. Um, and it is Everton 0, Wolves 1. Oh, yes. The uh, continuation of the nightmare season for Everton. Um, who now are, they're still 17th. They still have three games in hand on those around them. Uh, but you would always rather have points on the board than games in hand. Um, and it's kind of hard to see where Everton are going to get those wins. They face up against a inform Newcastle United. Uh, and they were played off the pitch um, at St. James's Park. So we'll see how it goes at home. Um, and then they have, I, I just now see this game has been postponed, but um, the Watford match is like a penciled on, should be a yeah. win for Everton kind of thing. But after that, they do West Ham away, Manchester United, Palace away, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, uh, and then they have Brentford before they finish the season at Arsenal. They don't have very many winnable fixtures between now and the end of the season, uh, which is why I think especially the three games in hand doesn't really do anything for Everton at this point. Um, but yeah, what um, I guess talking really quickly about the match versus Wolves, um, um, you know, really nothing to write home about for Everton. Um, it was uh, Connor Cody, the Liverpool-born skipper, uh, who scored against Everton. Uh, it was a very clean and crisp header. Um, and then John Joe Kenny, who is having somewhat of a poor season, uh, also sure got sent off in this match, um, continuing his poor form. Uh, Oscar Saywell, are you nailing Everton to the door dead on door so this is a a really fascinating question or consideration for us right now I think um I think I texted you this on the weekend once again we're at this point where the table is lying quite heavily because Everton still have 
games in hand. Um, they have played 26. The teams directly around them have played 29. Apart from Burnley, who have played 27. Um, four straight losses in a row. I will not nail them to relegation yet, simply because of those games in hand. Now, the atmosphere at the club must be absolutely dreadful and must be awful in the dressing room. Uh, I wouldn't even say that something is like wrong with these players' attitude. It's just like the confidence is dead. It, they're bereft of confidence. And a lot of their players just don't gel well. I think they have very good individuals. Alain Ducouré, Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Pickford is a Premier League-worthy goalie. But they have struggled with injuries and they have not played much together. And, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, they're not picking up points. Um, I'm going to draw attention once again and draw criticism um, again on Frank Lampard. I heard on a podcast that I was listening to today a really astonishing um, claim by a pundit who said that he thinks that Frank Lampard has brought positive positivity to Everton. And I just don't understand that. I can't, I can't think of anything further from the truth. Lampard is a guy that has walked, that has come in and his shtick is that he blames the players. That's all he does. He blames the players. He never takes any responsibility ever. And he's, I don't know what he was like at Derby, but he certainly didn't do that at Chelsea. And he's not doing it here. I don't see any positivity coming from Frank Lampard. I think the guy gets such an easy ride from English media in general because everyone loves him. And frankly, Everton are in such a bad situation because they've had a a very tumultuous season with their their personnel availability and also now because I don't think they have a very tactically astute manager. Um and so what what's what's that a recipe for? Potential disaster. Um and on a match day where we saw Leeds maybe hit a turning point in their season, possibly. I understand that it was it was only Norwich, but get this, you know, intense at the death winner. Um and with also on a match day where Watford got a good win, it's just not looking good at all for Everton. And you know, I, I was thinking about it more when I listened to audio of the of Goodison Park um at the end of the match and it was silent. And I think that's because people fans were truly realizing what kind of a situation they are in and actually understanding that relegation is is looking like a probability now more than a possibility um or an uncertainty and i guess i'm curious to know what you think will happen to everton if they get relegated because to me that is a club ripe for sinking like a stone because of their financial situation they have to sell players in the summer, regardless of what happens, in order to balance the books. Usamov, who is a financial backer of theirs, is, I believe, if not among the directly sanctioned uh, oligarch, Russian, Russian businessmen, Russian oligarchs, 
then either close to it or is deeply affected by the sanctions against Russia. This is a club who has no money, has an overinflated wage bill, and has a is badly run. And and those three things combined getting relegated, that 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 is a a very scary prospect. Yeah. Um I will say Everton do have you know, they have a great facility, they have a great training ground, they have a great youth academy. Um and so I do think there's it's not entirely right. doom and gloom for them. Um especially I think players like Anthony Gard- Gordon would tear up the championship. Um so yeah. I don't think they'd pull a like a Sunderland and get double relegated. Um but I do think if they went down, they would probably struggle for a few seasons. Um, and then it would really come down to someone else buying the club, someone seeing such a uh, tempting setup that is already established. Um, like the capital is already there. You know, If it were to be purchased, it would take a lot less to get a club like Everton back to the Premier League than it would like a Luton town or, you know, some of these, you know, struggling championship sides. Um, yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Um, although I, I would still emphasize I, the, the dieness of their financial situation. Yeah. Um, totally. Um, and I do think it is time uh, for the sack uh, bring in big oh, Sam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, did I ask you on the last podcast who of the new managers would be yes. most likely to get sacked? I think no. It's... I think you asked me who was the 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 newest manager. Oh, is that what you just said? I didn't hear. Yeah. You. The like the manager to be sacked next. Okay, yeah, you did. And I said it was between Lampard and Dean's or and Hodgson or Dean Smith. Dean Smith, maybe I don't know. No, it was Hodgson. Um. I think yes. it's at a point where you have to kind of bank on a new manager bounce um, and hope, right? you know, of your three games in hand, seven or six points uh, is a decent enough broom handle to hold back your relegation. Uh, I, yeah, I know. And look, it's just, it's a strange situation because it, I know I, I know that some people bang on about it and maybe I'm one of them, but Lampard is is just like he's a weird dude. Like I don't know how else to say. It. I don't understand. Like people love him so much because because they like the way he conducts himself in front of the media. Or that, well, that's the answer that people always give. But I'm not really sure even why. Because I I've not. He's just not. It doesn't seem like a super nice guy. Like he okay maybe yes he's an he seems like a nice guy but he also seems very arrogant like this is an arrogant man i don't understand why people love him so much it's, it's not like he's super humble and and you know willing to have open conversations with people about you know like i don't know the state of his job or i mean he's very closed off he's very like you know i'm not he's quite alpha like i don't really understand it and 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 he's just a funny manager. Like I don't really know what his level is. He clearly has the the passion to manage, but you know, I think I think the sensible thing for him to have done when Everton approached him was was to say no. Like 
you know, why? Why, why are you taking over Everton? Like, this is a club that is not capable of, right now at least, matching your style. His style is, is, is attacking play, right? This is what he's good at. This is what he likes. And he literally can't coach a defense. And they are shipping goals. They can't, they can't defend. And, and you've signed Frank Lampard. It baffles me. Like, I don't really understand. But we don't need to dwell too much longer on the Blues. Um, Blake, can I raise uh, Manchester United's barnstorming win over, us, uh, off, over Tottenham to you for our next talking point? Of course. Um, did you see this game, first of all? Uh, unfortunately. No, you were playing football, weren't you? No, you no, weren't. I saw, I saw this one. Oh, all right. Yes. Okay, so we both saw it. Um, yeah. Uh, Saturday, 3-2 victory at Old Trafford for Manchester United. I had this one in the background. Blake watched it. Um, very entertaining, I thought. Frankly, quite a frenetic game. Um uh capped off by a Ronaldo hat trick and it was one of those hat tricks that didn't come in a flurry but actually moved uh steadily throughout the game so he really won this game for Manchester United um it was in the 12th the 38th and the 81st minute um and that 81st minute goal was the winner um an otherwise fairly barely even match possession wise shots wise um and you know it 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 was a fascinating one it, it, this had was manchester united's 29th match um tottenham still have two games in hand if they win both these games in hand uh they will jump manchester united um and i think look like uh tottenham are a funny side right now, very hot and cold. Uh, I, I thought that they actually played fairly well away from home here. Um, and it, it was really, you hate to say it, but like a, a classic uh, Cristiano Ronaldo masterclass. And it was, the goals he scored were actually sort of like the, the greatest hits of the phases of Cristiano Ronaldo that we've seen over the past 15 years, 15 plus years. Uh, the 12th minute one was reminiscent of that that goal in 2009 that he scored against Porto, I don't know if you remember this, for Man U, where he... Yes, I do. Yes, he hits it. It's a very famous goal. He hits it with very little backlift from about 20 yards out, and it just sails over the goalkeeper into the, uh, in, into the goal, essentially. A sensational goal. Um, lots of power. Um, very sudden kind of thing. Um, and then the 38th minute goal is reminiscent of... Uh, peak of a peak of his powers, Real Madrid, Ronaldo, where he's just always, always, always in the correct place, uh, and he latched onto a Sancho um, assist off the back of a, a very fast counter attack um, that he, uh, I believe, spearheaded and then showed a, a huge turn of pace, belying his age to get into the box for, and then uh, the the goal to win it was was the you know the third phase the final phase of Cristiano Ronaldo that we've seen in his post 30 age 32 age 33 years where he is a is a, a a monster in the air he hangs he hangs in the air for like what feels like 10 seconds and and nods home a goal um so you know if, I'm not a fan of 
you know, of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but you know, it was a a moment of sporting sporting genius. I don't know from him um, with Tom Brady watching on in the stands, and then two days later, he's just announced he is not retiring anymore and is going to do another season in the NFL. So connections, maybe. Um, what did you think of this game, Blake? Uh, yeah, it. I think the only way it could have gotten better is if Tottenham had pulled I, back yeah, a gone. very yeah. late leveler. Um, oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is was really actually a match where you know Manchester United scored all five goals essentially. Um, mm. They had the yeah. the handball for Harry Kane and then a Harry Maguire own goal. Um, but yeah, it's like classic and peak Cristiano and he's 37 and playing very well and will it ever end um I pray no and I I think that yeah I agree but I think that sort of having Tom Brady in the stands who I think is like 44 but I mean Ronaldo will play into his 40s no doubt I think we we have another I could see another five years of Cristiano Ronaldo, 42, 43. I could see him playing till that, till that age somewhere in some, some league and I'm sure to a high level. If Zlatan Ibrahimovic can do it, he can. Um, so we're not done with Cristiano Ronaldo yet. I think we will see Lionel Messi retire um, a good couple of seasons at least before Ronaldo does. Yeah. Um, it's the eat, sleep, and live football. Um, sure. And that it's never caught up to Cristiano. Um, and so who no, knows if it, it ever will. No, um, probably not. Still, probably yeah, not. <laughs> we're going to see him tormenting Newcastle at age 50, um, just like sure. he did at age 19. Um, yeah. This, uh, in terms of Manchester United's season, um, is uh, pretty important although it's looking less and less likely that they're going to be able to get into the top four. Oh, um, yeah. I yeah. think, I don't want to say it's like over for them, but it's really hard to imagine a scenario it's in so that Arsenal falls off to the point where United yeah. can catch them. Um, with it's Arsenal Arsenal's to lose. Them. I mean, it really is. If Arsenal, if Arsenal lose, if Arsenal don't get fourth, despite how I think despite how great Mikel Arteta has been for them, especially in the past year, it's grounds for sacking. It has to be. It would be a monumental collapse. And yeah, no, that that would be a travesty for Arsenal. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, And this match is a huge victory for Manchester United. It keeps those hopes alive. Uh, But even in their victory, we talked about this what last week or the week before or you know it feels like we talk about this every week even when things go well for manchester united things seem to not be going great for manchester united at the same time yeah um the harry Maguire conundrum like what's what's wrong with him what why are we seeing such it's not even that he's bad he's catastrophic he's actively mm. taking down manchester united chances of victory over and over what feels like match in match out um i've never really rated harry Maguire. um 
I'm a proud Harry Maguire hater. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't know. He, I mean, he, it certainly seems like he's the clear spot in the team that will get replaced in the summertime. Um, and then he kind of occupies this strange place where he is, I'm sure in his mind, still a top player and he's going to demand a top team and top paychecks and everything. But whatever team decides to give him that is probably making a mistake unless they, you know, manage to fix the Harry Maguire issue. Um, so it's at a strange, yeah. and he's also, he's not young. He's what, 31? 29. Um, 29. I'm wrong side of 30 uh, for my guess. Um, I just, I, I am having a hard time figuring out what exactly Harry Maguire is going to do next. Um, other than, unfortunately, a side like Newcastle deciding mm. to buy him, um, um, which I'd be disgusted by. So I think he will ride out this form at United. I think that people are forgetting that, that how, how integral Maguire had been to this United side just as recently as a couple of seasons ago. Um, I don't buy this idea that he was always a overrated player, that kind of stuff. The the price tag that he was saddled with at United, it's one of those where it's not his fault, right? Like, he... No, of course he's not an £80 million player. That's ridiculous. But United bought him for that amount of money. And I I believe that... I mean, you, look, the his performances for England over the past few years have been fantastic and people in football have extremely short memories it was it was only a couple of seasons ago when people were saying look harry Maguire, as part of that defense as the captain is really keeping the side together now does that mean that he should be playing right now during this bad form absolutely not like i understand that he's been dreadful calamitous um and i think that i'm sure there's many factors for that um players go through bad patches in their careers players fall off physically, mentally at some point in their careers. Um, players have bad luck. Um, and when you play for a team like Manchester United, your bad luck and your mistakes are uh, highlighted and amplified around the world. So, look, I think a, a team of Manchester United's resources can and should afford to look to bring in, bring in a player to um, challenge him or, and if he doesn't stand up to the task, replace him. But... Um, as for his future, he's not going anywhere. Um, he will stay at Manchester United, and I would back him probably to work through this this bad form. Uh, yeah, I just realized in the middle of you saying that that uh, it's like the <laughs> conversation we had with Marcus Rashford last week. Well, um, yeah, and he yeah, looked dreadful in this game. Dreadful. There's something really wrong yeah. with this guy. He there had really one is. moment. He had one moment where I thought I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, there's still a really good player in there." Um, but yeah, yeah, I I don't get it with him. Um, he's at a crossroads. He he's really also is. being abused horribly online right now, which yeah, you know, doesn't help. Awful. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're gonna have this Marcus Rashford. He's struggling. Over and over this is and over. a this is a guy who is struggling. I think with more than just look. I I don't want to be like too 
out there about it. But I, I, I've said it before. I think this is a guy who's struggling with more than just, you know, just football form. And who can blame him? He had to shoulder enormous burdens over the craziest period that many humans have had in their lives. And he's 24. Like, you know, you just can't get away from that fact. Um, so here's hoping that he plays through it or leaves somewhere to, to regain some sort of joy um, and form. Yeah, the one likable player at Manchester United. Um. Exactly. Um, may I, before, I don't know what time it is, already 8.30, <laughs> the, may I um, mention West Ham's win before we move elsewhere? Of course. Wonderful. Um, West Ham winning. Uh, I heard someone on a podcast say that just as you think West Ham are sort of stuttering or falling away, they have a win which claws them back um, and and gets them back into contention for something. And I, I thought that was a good way of describing it. And I think it it's certainly been true of the past couple of seasons. We we really have this this resilience about us. We refuse to give up. Um, and it's it's wonderful. Um, I did manage to catch this game live. Um, it wasn't streaming anywhere um, that I could access comfortably. But, um, you know, I thought we played really quite well, controlled the match mm, up until um, Jacob Ramsey scored in about the 90th minute. And then it was a nervy, long extra time period for us. Um, I want to shout out Yamalenko, who scored, who came on and scored uh, for the first time in two years, about since 2020, um, in, at which he had, he did it against Aston Villa back in 2020. Um, scored for the first time in the Prem since then. Um, it was a very emotional moment. Obviously, he's Ukrainian, uh, and he burst into tears after he scored. Uh, got a standing ovation from everyone in the crowd, including the Villa players. I'm uh, sorry, the Villa fans actually. Um, and and then Pablo Fornals got the second goal, which I thought was a, just a fantastic piece of build-up play, especially from Declan Rice, um, who skipped past a Villa player and left him sort of like stumbling on the floor. It was great. Driving th- across the pitch so fast on the ball. Um, and then um, Ben Rama, um, who actually got two assists in this game, which was, which was good to see. Um, he's been playing better recently. Um, for four nows who put it in um, to the rapturous joy of the entire stadium um, the the downside of this match was that we have two key injuries again ahead of our rematch with Severe on Thursday Antonio and Cresswell are both um, out injured and uh, but you know I'm very philosophical about West Ham as I have been over the past couple of years um you know, we're just in such a great place. Uh, no worries of injury. Uh, sorry, no worries of relegation. Plenty worries of injury. Um, and, and we're sort of cruising. What a time to be alive. Yeah, um, the outlook for West Ham for the rest of the season is, I would say, very uh, optimistic. Um, mm-hmm. A relatively easy run for the final several matches. Um, yeah, there's, not bad. You know, like three big clubs in there. Um, and then other than that, there's Spurs, Everton, Brentford, Burnley, Norwich, and Brighton, which are all pretty easy uh, 
easily seeable wins for West Ham. Um, they're at home for their match versus Sevilla, which is pretty favorable, um, even though every match for West Ham is like an away match. Um, mm. But uh, oh, wow. I, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, things are looking up for West Ham, um, even though they never really looked down ever this season. Um, yeah. Well, by comparison to recent year to to our, you know, modern history, absolutely not. Yeah, um, that I think wraps us up in terms of talking about uh, this past match day. Um, unless you have any final thoughts, um, I just want to shout out really quickly because um, I made it quite public to everyone. I thought that the. Leeds Norwich match was the best match I've watched in a long time. I really, really enjoyed this match. It was frenetic. It was super passionate. So many tackles, fights, <laughs> feisty play. So much speed. Uh, Norwich equalized in the 90th minute after Leeds had absolutely battered them for the whole match. They could have had five. Um, and then Gelhart scores a great goal to win it. Um, he he nods on, he stretches to nod on this ball uh, for, I can't remember which Le- pacey Leeds winger it was, and then scampers into the box to get on the, get on the end of it for a, for a tap, and it was sensational. Um, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, so shout out to that match. Yeah. Um, the first win for American Jesse Marsh. Um, oh, yeah. Still has a lot of work to do. Um, he but, sure uh, does. Yeah, yeah. He, he's great to listen to in, the, in a post-match. But he's just, I mean, obviously, because he is American, he's just unapologetically American and uses your technical language. So instead, he'd said game day and stuff like this. And it was just like, he's so different from all the other managers. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, he might get run out of town if he you know, calls it a jersey or... Um, yeah. Which yeah. I think... A, um, I have a hard time even remembering what... Who uses what term for studs. Because mm. I call them studs. But I'd say most yeah, Americans studs. probably call them cleats. Yeah, they call them cleats. Um, yeah. And most British call them boots. No, studs. Studs? Okay. Mm-hmm. I call them studs. So, um, yeah. My favorite is I go back and forth between calling it football and soccer um, just mm-hmm. to never really give anyone anything. Uh, I will mm-hmm. just always be on the fence about the term. Um, Although I do very much enjoy calling the NFL American football. Um, yeah. I think that's very funny. Um, okay, Oscar, I do have a question for you um, regarding the name of this podcast and a former Wonder Kid. Um, oh, my goodness. The return. Yes, we skipped this last week um, and potentially the week before. Uh, mm. This player is an. Argentinian, uh, and he started his career at uh, racing club, racing club, uh, mm. in Buenos Aires. Uh, before making his move to England at a young age, uh, going to Manchester City and becoming part of the Manchester City Lone Army, 
Um, he visited all over the world um, in his time at Manchester City. Never made a senior uh, appearance for them. Uh, he would leave them in 2017 and go to Hellas Verona. Uh, before joining this club in 2018 and being a mm. first team player, but kind of never first choice. Um, do you have any idea who I'm? Oh, I guess I tell you the player. It's been yes. so long, I even forgot. It's been so long. <laughs> do you remember where Bruno Zuccolini is? Oh, Bruno Zuccolini. Um, yeah, this is like the... He's part of the sort of early Pep Guardiola Manchester City years where there were the, all these random City Army players buzzing around and only like... Oli Zinchenko emerged from them. Um, Zuccolini found his place, found his yeah, level. Yeah, I'm sure returning to his home country uh, you know, made focusing on football a little bit easier. Um, that is my only question for you, though, Oscar. Oh my um, okay. But we do have a question uh, from friend of the pod, Darren Saywell. Friend of the pod, again, uh, we do indeed. Yes, uh, the unofficial fourth host of the Peak Too Early podcast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. With the amount yeah. of uh, content he contributes. Um, yeah, exactly. He asked, on our, <laughs> he asked on our Twitter, uh, please answer the question of who are the best slash worst teams at throw-ins in the EPL? Mm-hmm. My personal favorite is West Ham, OBS. No. Uh, but OBS, as yeah. the worst team. Tremendous energy, no product. The wheels are spinning, no traction. Terrible. Oscar? Very concise. Yeah. Your opinions? Okay, so uh, great question again, Dad. Um, I do not have knowledge enough to rank the 20 teams in the Premier League with throw-ins. I do have a firm bottom and a firm top, however. Um absolutely agree with you that West Ham are the worst. By far the worst team in the league, in my opinion, at throw-ins. I have no idea what the statistics are, but I watch a lot of West Ham, and I don't think I've ever seen us complete a throw-in. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, like, I, I, it, does, it makes sense to me, because Moyes, I understand he's been very effective, and yes, great, thank you, David Moyes, for all you've done for the club over the past couple of years. Also, he is a very, in many ways, a very old-fashioned manager, traditional manager. I'm not sure he pays much attention to throw-ins. Um, I'm sure he just sees them as a bit of a periphery part of the game, frankly. Maybe that's super harsh. I understand Antonio does that NFL-style, just huge throw thing um, sometimes. But yeah, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it's not something that Moise is drilling the players on. Um, as for the best team in the league, the one I put at number one has to be Liverpool um, because they employ a throwing coach. Um, so I'm assuming, Blake, that they know exactly what they're doing with their thrones and it is an intricate part of their attacking plans. Um, and I'm sure City are up there as well because Pep Guardiola is a crazy man who um, knows all details of everything. Uh, you told me, Blake, before this pod that you are very passionate about this subject. So I am looking forward to hear what you have to say about it. 
yes. Uh, although you touched on one of my points where Liverpool are far and beyond Has to be. the best throw-in um, side in the league. I was trying to find the statistics on uh, possession retention from throw-ins. It is a niche um, stat, I have to say. But <laughs> I, re- I can't find it. Um, the one I found was behind a paywall. Um, but I do remember Liverpool were clearly ahead and clearly the worst at the time, which was last season, mm. was Newcastle United, uh, which is super uh, evident last season uh, where it felt like every single throw in we had, we lost. Um, so Very I'm going to have to go uh, to war versus you and your dad about who's mm. the worst team at throw ins. Um, but I would rank, there's like three tiers of teams and throw-ins. And there's the teams that practice throw-ins, and it's very evident. And that's your Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, who have mm. good movement and they understand how to get players open on a throw-in so that you don't lose freaking possession. There are then what is like the effect Effective but low percentage throw-in teams, which are your Sheffield Uniteds, your Burnleys, your Stoke of Olds, um, who um, Brentford, even um, Brighton, uh, Crystal Palace, they tend to uh, not have a high percentage of retention on possession, but uh, they tend to be quite a clear cut above others. Uh, And then there's the clubs that obviously don't give a rat's ass about practicing throw-ins. And it's so apparent and like no players move. And eventually it just turns into the player, like throwing it into double coverage and then losing um, possession. Yeah. And just like Newcastle up until January. um, And all of a sudden we got much more decent because we actually started practicing throw-ins. Um, but I feel like it's definitely one of these things where, uh, certain managers like Moyes is like, why would I practice throwing in the ball? Like, how about we practice keeping the ball in play instead? Um, you know, just like the classic old school coach, um, whereas Liverpool are so detail oriented with, you know, everything. Um, but yeah, I think if you can't be a Liverpool, you should try to be a Stoke. Um, and I think even just gaining yardage, like progressing the ball up the field, you know, just launch it down the line to your winger. Um, and your winger either gets it or they don't. So, um, yeah. Those are my opinions. Um, I'm quite opinionated on it because for yeah. years, Newcastle were so dog crap. Uh, just keeping the ball in play, and it seems like such a simple thing. Um, yeah. But um, whenever West Ham and Newcastle play, I guess it's a uh, competition for who can give the ball to the other side. Absolutely, and um, it is a frustrating part of being a fan of two teams that historically have. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Just very traditional, aren't we? Historically, um, very down to brass tacks football. None of this airy, fairy, throw in stuff for us, Blake. Yeah. 
Um, talking about throwing in, uh, mm. we are up against the time limit. We are. Uh, so I think it is time for us to throw in the towel. Oh, um, wow. But if you are listening to this podcast and you would like us to discuss any sort of uh, you know concept or opinions you have or anything, please tweet us, review us, uh, email us. Uh, we'll do anything. Listen, we'll even we talk really about will. throw-ins. Uh, for free. For free. Yeah, for free. So. Yeah, you'll have your answer, or questions answered on the Peak Too Early podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be listened to by tens, ten of people? Mm, ones. Ones <laughs> of people. Ones to ten <laughs> of people. Um, yeah. But uh, this has been episode 21 of season two. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and we will see you next week for another on-time episode. Yeah, manifest it. Absolutely. It's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm standing. <laughs>